Thank you so much for choosing this podcast from CFTN Payson. We are Church for the Nations in Payson, Arizona. We are a Bible-believing church and believe God has a word for you today. You can reach us at www.cftnpayson.com or you can give us a call at 928-444-8791. We hope that you're blessed by the message that you've chosen today. God bless. The final installment of our Marriage and Family Love 13 series is Generations, and it's about iniquities and inner vows. How many of you understand iniquities and inner vows? Okay. Well, hopefully by the end of this, we'll all understand it a little bit better. Because like in my intro this morning, during, during my announcements, I mentioned that, that there are reasons we do things that we don't even know we, why we do them. But we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. How many know that knowing about something is different than knowing something? If I know about something, it's completely different than if I know. If I know about Jesus and I know about the Bible, it's completely different than actually knowing Jesus. My wife knowing about me, that was pre-dating, right? My wife knowing me is post-marital bliss. Amen? (laughs) You guys laugh. I'm learning. Okay, so we cannot know ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know myself unless I know God. Right? Because if we start to try to know ourselves without knowing God, we receive a mistaken identity. Okay? And there's a very prominent story in the Bible. We're going to read that scripture right now in Mark 5, 1 through 11. It says, They, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gardenus. And when he came out to the, of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirit, who had, his dwelling, had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him. Not even with chains, because he had often been bound and shackled with chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken to pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and he cast them into the swine. This gentleman had a severe case of mistaken identity. A really bad one. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Who are you? Identify yourself. And he identified himself from the spirit within inside of him, the, the, the evil spirit that was inside of him, legion. So, some of you this morning 
need to rip out, cut off, and annihilate what you've been called. What, what, your, what your insecurity has told you you are. What the, the spirit inside of you, the negative spirit inside of you has said that you are. There's a case of mistaken identity. One of the things it says in here is he says he cut himself. Now, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I ran into a lot of kids that were cutting themselves. And they would have to, for the rest of their life now, they have to wear long sleeves to hide the scars of this, of this maiming. And you often think, well, you should just stop doing that. You know, stop doing that. But the, their mind has created them to be something or nothing. Many of them feel that we're not worthy. The only thing that they can feel is when they cut themselves. So it's because we don't know who we are that we respond the way we do in negative, in negative connotation. The root problem being loss of self. Loss of who we are. I, I was talking and counseling with a, with a brother about uh, his, he had just gone through a failed marriage. And he was counseling and he told me, he said, the one thing that I've really figured out in this whole series is that in that process, I lost myself. In marriage, he had lost himself. Now that is due to, that is due to pressures of the marriage and him adopting a a a role of submission or or codependence should say to say he lost himself in his marriage. So we're constantly trying to find ourselves. So we're going to talk this morning about your identity. Your identity is you're a child of God. You're a king. You're a queen. You're a daughter to the king. You are full of purpose. And the hardest thing, and probably the one thing that God has been working with me most in ministry, is to minister a theology of love. Like, that's all. His, the last month or two, three, he has been focusing me on love. Why do you think love is so strong? Like, it's such a little word, four letters. But it's the very thing that fewest people can receive. It's the very thing that draws the most people. It's the very thing that breaks bonds. That little word is all we need because when we act in that and we work in that, it's because we have a society of people who cannot receive love. And this is due to the first issue we're going to talk about this morning, the issue of iniquities. See, Dean and I, we've looked into our, we've looked into our families and we've realized that there's two issues that every, there's every relationship every person deals with in their life. And the first one of these is iniquities. 
In Exodus 34, 7, it says, Keep mercy from thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon their children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, God is willing to forgive iniquities, but we have to put our finger on them. We have to figure out what they are. They're not always sin. Because, see, if you look at the, like the verse I just read to you, it says transgressions and sin were added with iniquities. I, was, I grew up thinking iniquities was sin. If I had iniquities in my, in my family line, it was generational sin, that kind of thing. But iniquities don't have to be sin. They just have to be non-biblical things. Non-biblical things that we work for or work in. Iniquity in Hebrew is avon. And this means to bend. Now, we know that Hebrew is a lot about pictures, right? So, so picture this. I just, I just had a flashback. Who, who used to watch the Golden Girls? Remember what, I forget even her name, the little white-haired lady used to always say, picture this, 1901, Sicily, whatever. Anyway, I digress. So the picture is of a tree that's in a windy area or that always gets wind beaten on it. And that tree will actually grow that direction so that all the limbs are moving in the direction of the, the, the prominent wind that it faces, the force that's on it. It's bend. So when I say iniquity in your life, avon, it's a bent towards, bending towards. Now, there's all kinds of theological arguments of whether you're born with any specific type of gene or problem or sin or there's something inside of you if you're born with it. And most evangelical scholars would say, no, God created you this way. I would disagree. I would say that, yes, they are born a certain way or they feel if it's a, if it's a change of normality, you know, in... in in societal norms or whatever, or if it's the, the desire to steal or whatever it is, that you can be born with it. You're born with it because it's an iniquity that's been passed on, that's been moved on through your life. So it's actually coded itself on. It wasn't created by God, but it was coded onto your DNA. Now that can be cut off. It can stop with you. Just like if, if, I was, if I was prone to stealing things, I can say today, I take authority of this by God, and I will not move this on. But if I don't take care of it, if I don't recognize it, it stays there and it passes on. An iniquity that passes on. So it's a behavior that is in your life. And this can be... A tendency towards a harmful behavior because of the sin of your parents or your parents' parents or your parents' parents' parents or your parents' 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 parents. <laughs> it can go back. It says three and four generations. So let's talk about some examples. We're going we're to talk about some examples of iniquities. And I would encourage you to take some notes because I would say that every one of these areas are something that you could find or some of these areas are things that you can find in your life that you're walking in that you didn't realize. You've just kind of accepted the fact that that's how I've been made. I've counseled with people that say, well, 
my husband has to just deal with it because that's who I am. That's how I was created or that's how I've always been or whatever. But if it's a negative trait, it can be cut. It can be taken away. So the first example is anger. How many of you have anger in your family? Okay. How many of you would say that you have had anger in your life? Okay. How many of you know that doesn't have to be? Exactly. My, my grandpa, I didn't know him very well, was very, had a very angry streak. Now, I would gather that my mom decided early on that that was stopping with her. Now, she may not have known that, but she did. Because I don't, have, I don't feel like I have an anger. I've never had really an anger issue. Now, do you get angry? Yeah, that's, that's different than having an anger issue. So here's another one. Chauvinism. Sexism and bigotry. If that was something that was in your family, if your dad constantly told racist jokes and thought it was funny, you will grow up thinking that's normal. And you will carry that on and do it. How your dad treated your mother will have a way that you treat your wife or expect to be treated by your husband. Okay, these are things that aren't necessarily... They could be looked at as sin somewhere. There's some, some connection somewhere. But this particular little thing isn't necessarily... But it's not good. Chauvinism is not good. Sexism is not good. Bigotry is not good. Okay? So if you are, have a bent towards that, it's not just because it's you. It's because there's something that has attached itself to your line. Verbal abuse or sexual or substance abuse. These are other areas. Now you would think that someone that has been molested as a child, you would think that that person would never abuse a child in the same way. Never. That would be the logical thing. But see, that's, there's a spiritual connection there. There's an iniquity connected there. Those people are far greater numbers choosing to do that in their families or in, their, if, in the children they love. And you think, how can people that hurt, were hurt so bad, hurt people in the same way? And we say a phrase often here is, hurt people hurt people. And until we can break that off and take care of those things, this is why we're bringing them out today. This is why we're talking about them. is because when we recognize some of these areas that we deal with, we want to take care of them today. It's easy to take care of. It can be done now. Just saying, by the blood of Christ, I take authority over this right now. Another one is negativity. How many of you tend to lean to the pessimistic side of things? Okay. It's a bent. Because how many know God is all about optimism. God is all about taking, taking it on and knowing that I'm going to win. I'm going to be victorious. I'm there. It doesn't matter what it looks like, right? That's what faith is all about. Risk is all about. God is an optimist. He's the eternal optimist. And if you are created in the image of God, why would it be okay to be a pessimist? 
well, that's how I'm wired. No, it's not. You're wired to be an optimist. You have a bent towards being a pessimist. And that's an iniquity. And do you want to pass that from generation to generation? My wife has a dear, close relative that sees the glass. And he doesn't only see the glass half full. He sees the glass an eighth full on every situation. It's dry in most times. In that everything that comes from conversation is absolutely always negative. Always. Now, that was not how God created him. And that's why it's important that we identify these iniquities so that we can take care of them. This is why we do workshops. This is why we do the, we use tools here, like to keep your love on. We use these tools because God gave somebody wisdom right. to produce this, to help us look introspect. Yes, we can, we can receive that revelation on our own, but it's great when God uses tools and people to say, wow, that's a really raw spot right there I need to take care of. Right? So the next one is something that I probably am keenly aware of. And that is perfectionism. Perfectionism and conditional love. Now the conditional love, no. I've, I've cast that off a long time ago. But the perfectionism is something that I deal with all the time. Ask my wife. I was working on some... some art stuff this this week for someone and some graphic stuff and I kept moving this and, and my wife would be like come on what does it matter no it's got to be shifted you know a millimeter this way or whatever because I have this ideal of what it's supposed to look like and I can't see myself past getting there now that is a bent now it can be a positive but how many of you know that can be a negative okay I have a friend and he's in the alarm industry, okay? And I was just telling somebody this story this, this week. But he is an amazing alarm technician. And he actually got me into the field of, of installation. And so if you're familiar with alarms, they usually have a metal cabinet in a closet somewhere that in, holds all the, the guts of, of the alarm system. Well, me, most technicians, once you close that door... Nobody's going to go in there ever. If it works, great, right? My friend, he, he's one of these people that, that counts window panes. So when you open his panel, it, every wire is looped exactly to the right angle. It's all beautifully zip-tied. Everything, you could let... He's expecting the customer to come in there and say, Come here, look at my alarm panel. Right? There's a fine line of making money, working for God. Make, it works when it's done. It would take you half the time, you'd still have a phenomenal panel, right? Right? So the point is, is it can be a detriment. Perfectionism can be a detriment. It's a good thing to, to have pride in your work and make sure that you're doing things correctly. But there's a... Anyway, I, I'll, get, I'll leave that for a minute. The, the next one is, is the conditional love. That was the, the other part of that. If we find ourselves 
only loving someone because that person has done me well. Or I can only love that person or be with that person if they are in benefit to my life. At that point, there's something wrong. If you find yourself in that place where that person better clean up, or that person, if that person stinks, I gotta stay away from, you know, if, if there's a condition to my connection with them, then that's a bent. That's something that we gotta look at. Why am I feeling this way? Because, you know, Jesus, he doesn't care, right? He's with you, whatever you're in. The next one is another one that I had to cut off early in life, and that is rebellion. No, I just, oh, I did pride, okay, I'm sorry. I missed pride. Pride, thinking too highly of yourself. So, is it wrong to think highly of yourself? No. No. Paul says, be careful not to think too highly of yourself. Okay? So it's not wrong to take pride in what you do. Know that you're good at doing something and take, take authority and say, I'm good at this. Okay? There's another to just talk about yourself all the time. And the, nobody can get a, a word in edgewise because I'm so great. I'm so awesome. No one can do better than me. Okay? Pride is also another thing. And we all know people. And if, if I'm not pounding you, if that's you this morning, that's just another, another thing that we, a bent we need to take care of. So the next one is rebellion. Where did I, man? Okay, so we'll just work them all. So, unforgiveness and bitterness. How many know that most sickness, I would say a large part of sickness, is due to unforgiveness? Not, not a condemnation of that, but most of the time that someone that is seething with bitterness and unforgiveness, they don't even know it, they will end up 30 years from now not knowing why they're dealing with all this ailment and this stuff. Not everything comes from that, but a lot does. So if we can, yeah, my wife has a good point. It might be forgiveness for yourself. Maybe you did something you can't get over. And you just roll this around, you roll this around. And so to get rid of it, we need to cut that iniquity off. The bitterness must go. It must, and it's easy. You're like, well, it's not that easy. I had someone tell me one time that, well, I'm going to fix, I want to fix my relationship, and then I'll deal with my bitterness. And I'm here to tell you, until you fix your relationship, or, I'm sorry, backwards, until you fix your bitterness, until you get God to take that out of you, you will not succeed in that relationship. It's like getting the cart before the horse. And then there's rebellion. That's what I was trying to get to the whole time. Rebellion, okay? Rebellion is one that I had to deal with early on in my life. And I had to recognize it for what it was. And it says in the Word that rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. That's pretty big, right? And I wondered why my parents used to say, you just argue for the sake of arguing. And I truly did. It didn't matter the topic. I would always take the other side, to every conversation. And I prided myself to being, to rebelling against your idea. Whatever it was, it didn't matter. I remember driving across the, across the Texas, I think, with someone one time, and 
someone said, you know, I think that the mountains were created by erosion. No, no, they said by the flood. And I said, no, it was erosion from years and years. And I stuck to that, even though I knew that it was through the flood. I knew my, I know my Bible, but man, I was, no way. I am, that's not going to happen. And so I started to think of why I was like that. Why am I always challenging everything? And I found out that my grandfather, an Amish man, very, very much, but he bucked every rule. Now, living like that, I probably would still buck every rule if I was Amish. But the point is, he was like, challenged everything. And so he was a rebellious person. And, and I could actually pinpoint back to things and traits that I had because of that. That rebellion stuck with me. And until I cast it off and say, now, no more, this is the last, this is the time that this iniquity stops in my family line, I was bound to have a stubborn, rebellious, and absolute, um, well, sometimes, I guess, no, I'm just kidding. My son's awesome. I'm just saying, I was bound to have a son that was going to do the same thing, okay? So... We don't speak that. We cast that off. I repent right now. So why, a question I guess we have is why are iniquities so powerful? So why are these little things, we don't think of them that big a deal. Pessimism, we don't think of as a big a deal. But why are these little things so important and so, so powerful? And it's because as little children, as Zach's age, or this little girl right here, we're very impressionable. We soak up like a sponge. If you don't believe me, listen to my son's vocabulary sometimes. You know he didn't get... that. that his, his brain works in like... Yeah, it's incredible. Some of the stuff he comes up with. So, but they're like little video recorders. And they're recording everything. And so if they experience something negative, they, they take this in. Boom, boom, boom. If dad was always down and out and always depressed, then that's how Norm looks, Right? And so they just continually play this in their mind, and they become what they don't want to become. And so I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Is there a behavior that you don't like in your life? Is there a behavior that you didn't like in your parents? Were there things that you were exposed to, and even in a Christian home, growing up, were, they, were there things there that were unbiblical? So, it might not even be very horrible. It might be like, Dad never went to any of my games. And so you find yourself an adult, very in, uninterested in your kids. And what they're doing. How did your parents deal with conflict? My parents were very vocal. They had um, they had high volume discussions. Okay, and, and so did your parents get quiet when there was a problem, or did they scream it out? How did that transfer to your life? How do you feel you handle conflict? Do you get quiet or do you scream it out? Is that the same thing that your parents did, vice versa? 
This is how things move on. And until we introspect, until we look at, you know, we can, we can walk around and say, well, this is just who I am. Everybody needs to learn to love me. Or this is just who I am. Deal with it. Why can't you just love me the way I am? Well, we do. I love you just how you are. As cantankerous, as crazy, whatever. I love you the way you are. Would I love to see God shift some, some things in your life? Yeah, I'd love that. I love you where you're at. But God can make us so much more. We should never be okay with where we're at, right? So, how did your family handle money? Did you grow up with a poverty mindset? Did you grow up with this mindset that I'll never have more than a minimum wage job? I'll never have more... I'm, I'm entitled. Maybe you, maybe you grew up with an entitlement mindset. Like, the government offers this and I should just take it all. I, should, I shouldn't work. You know, there is absolutely... There's a time that my wife and I were on welfare. Okay? That is an, it's a necessary thing in society to help people. Okay? But it was created to be a help. And so, but we've seen that families have, you know, from generation to generation, they have learned and it becomes their mindset, okay? Now, again, no condemnation. I have been there. The need is there. The need is great for the help from the the government. Um, But we should always be working to get out from underneath that. Amen? Does this make sense? Okay. Because that is really important. How your family looked at money, how your family saw finances, has a, paints a picture for you. My parents, personally, I was raised in a very generous home. My parents never had a whole lot, but everything they had was available to give. And so we didn't, I didn't grow up with a bunch of stuff. I didn't grow up with a lot, Right? But I grew up with a mentality that it's all temporal. I do hold lightly to everything. Ask my wife. I could today give whatever. It doesn't, nothing has a sentimental value to me. I don't hold tight to houses. I could move into another house tomorrow. I don't get tied into that. And that really comes from the way my parents, and I believe it, that's a biblical viewpoint. That's a biblical bent. Like God, Jesus says, hold, don't hold on to this earthly stuff. Don't hold on to temporal stuff. Be, be, be okay with it moving and ebb and flow, right? So that's something that I got from my parents and the way that they viewed finance, the way they viewed material things. It's very, very good. I, I'm glad they did, okay? But if you're one that, man, everything is just... It's like I can't let go of anything. I have a hoard of stuff in my garage and I can't let go of any of it because for fear I might need it. Then then that lends to a poverty mindset because you're feeling like there's always going to be lack. I got to have that in case I'm lacking of something. Does that make sense? Is this this resonating? All right. So I, I said it earlier. How did your dad treat your mom? And how that all plays out is very important. My dad treated my mom with respect and honor. I know people that came from homes where that didn't happen. Or the wife 
the mother didn't respect her husband, and I've watched friends then in their relationships treat the other spouse the same way. So, like I said earlier, my wife and I have, have committed to finding those things, to do the self-reflection, why I do things, the negative things. Because there's always something that you do that after you do it, like, oh, I really don't like that part of me. I don't like that person in me. When you come across that, you got to take care of it. You can't just wash it away because anger, bitterness, all this stuff, like I said, it causes stuff down the road. So we've made it a decision and a commitment that no iniquities that we come across are going to pass into the fourth into the second, third, or fourth generation. They're not going to go on. Amen? So this morning, I want you to think about those things in your life, the things that we listed, those things. Are there any of those things that you're done with? Because I'll tell you what, if you're not done with them, you're hanging on a little too tight. Because Jesus wants you to be done with every one of those things. So, just like Dina's message last week said, that this generation will live from revelation and move into continual righteousness. The kingdom of God is joy, peace, and righteousness. That's the kingdom. Wait, that doesn't sound like a whole lot. Are you sure that's all? Yeah, that's what it says. The word says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. Okay? And if I can't propagate that into my kids, if I can't give righteousness to them, peace, and joy to them, then I'm not moving the kingdom forward, and I'm not doing what God created us to do. Right? So, how do we break iniquities? How do you break iniquities in your life? It's easy. You just recognize it. You just recognize it. Thank you. You recognize it. So when you come across and I, I can't believe you did that. And then you're like, oh, I sh- man, I shouldn't talk to her like that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't talk to you like that. And I won't talk to you like that anymore. I've repented. I've taken care of it. I'm moving on. God, I give it to you. I do not want anger to be a part of my life. I cast it off. It will not move on to my next generation. And you move on. Boom, it's done. Wait a minute. Is it that easy? Oh yeah, it's that easy. (laughs) Tricked you. It is that easy. Because literally, repentance is just a mindset, a change. Now, can there be a deliverance that's deeper than that? Absolutely. But then you have to rely on letting yourself be vulnerable to go deeper. Okay? Recognizing that, well, this is still kind of hanging on, and going to the healing rooms. Or going to an opportunity where you can be, pour yourself out and be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up. We have to be an open book. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, we've got to be an open book. We've got to shine light. light. Light takes over darkness. Darkness cannot handle light, right? And so until we shine the light on that area, we'll never have deliverance. Now we can take the religious view... And we can just sweep it underneath the rug and put our paste on our smile and say, we're just perfect. Thanks. We're in church today. Glory be to God. Everything is perfect. 
our marriage is perfect, everything is perfect, ah, until we go out to our car and then we can, you know what I'm saying? We can fake it, but until we put light on it, until we show, the devil can't handle when we put some light on that area. When we rip ourselves open and say, this is me and I don't like it, help me. Amen? So the next one is forgiveness. Like I said earlier, forgiveness is paramount. And the first person you need to forgive is your parents. You need to forgive your parents or your grandparents or whoever that you've traced that to. Forgive them. Say, Lord, they didn't understand what they were. I forgive them, and I take authority over that today in Jesus' name. In every, le- in every level of healing, you're going to experience forgiveness. Forgiveness is the epicenter. It is the central thing. For some, it's easier. Like I said, some people, it's as much as my dad didn't go to my game. He didn't pay much attention to me. He was always working or whatever. And I need to forgive him for that. Or it's deep. You were physically or sexually or verbally abused. There's some deep hurts. And those things are very painful. They need to be dealt with at a deeper level. But if we don't deal with them, everybody say we need to deal with them. If we don't deal with them, then the pain moves from generation to generation to generation. And it continues that process until someone, until a child of God, until a manifest son stands up and says, no, no more. I, I bind that it's done. And we have to, like I said, forgiveness is paramount. And in fact, Jesus says, if you don't forgive your sins, I can't forgive you. If you don't believe me, read it, Matthew six fifteen. So we need to take care of these things. We need to take them out. Now, really quickly, I'm going to go to the other issue. And the second issue is inner vows. Inner vows are like the other side of the coin from... The iniquities. The inner vows are, the very, are generally the tool you use to fight the iniquity you didn't like. So if you experience something bad, you made an inner, maybe may have, may have made an inner vow. I will never do that. I will never spank my child because I was beat as a, ch- as a child. I will never treat my wife like that. I will never... Okay, these are inner vows. And what... Inner vows are, yeah, he already put that up there. So my son's running my PowerPoint, so I don't know when we're at exactly. So, yeah, he's doing an awesome job. Iniquities are something we learn, and it's a behavior we take on from another person. Inner vows are promises that we make ourselves. I will not, I can't, I will never. It's a self-directed promise due to an unpleasant experience or hurt. How many of you have gone through something unpleasant in your life? Yeah. So, I'm going to personalize this. In 2009, many of you know we had a a collapse financially. We lost our business, okay? Now, due to what happened there, I can make an inner vow and say, I will never be poor again. Or I will never go into business again. Or I can, whatever it is, I can make an inner vow. And what happens in your psyche is all of a sudden pride wells up. And when the opportunity arises for me to lose money 
or take a risk, I will remember that I said, I will never be poor again. And my pride wells up and I say, I I won't do it. I won't take that risk because I will never be poor again. When it could be an opportunity that God put in front of you to help advance you so you can bless the kingdom. But you have stood and you will never be poor again, right? So there's like two ditches. There's two ditches. One is iniquity, and the other one is inner vow. And it's like a drunk guy trying to ride a horse between these ditches. Okay? If he falls into the iniquities, okay, he's doing things, whatever, but if he's decided he's not going to be part of that, he's going to fall into the ditch of, of this, and both of them are pointing at each other saying, at least I'm not like him. Okay? But inner vows are equally as bad as iniquities. In Matthew 5, 33 to 37, it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is by God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Jesus says we're not supposed to swear. We're not supposed to make inner vows. Because what it does is it it creates this God complex. Because the minute I say I will never be that and I stand on that firmly, I've now taken the place of God in that situation. I will never spank my child. So my child runs willy-nilly and becomes an absolute whatever, ends up in prison because I stood on the fact that I will not spank my child. Not, I forgive you, Dad, for, for, for spanking me a little too hard. And I'm going, to do, I'm going to do my hardest to do it the biblical way. And to be, I'm going to trust in God and know that he's going to give me the right, the right way of doing it. Okay? That's two different things than I'm never going to do that. Amen? Does this make sense? Because self-promises are our highest loyalty. There's a story about a guy that loved carbonated beverages. His house was filled with soda. He never offered any guests water. It was always a, a soda. And he always had a soda in his hand. And as a child, he was never allowed to have soda. Make sense? I will never go without soda because that's what I, I had to go without soda when I was a kid. So, man, I'm going to drink soda until my heart's content. Nobody's going to tell me otherwise. I actually knew a guy like this. At the store, this guy wasn't married, so this isn't his story. But at the store... His wife was saying, now that cart, that cart is way too full. You got too much in there. So he snaps at his wife and says, no one's ever going to tell me I can't have a soda. Kind of bizarre, isn't it? Kind of weird. But something made him like that. We are wide, wired in a, in a way because of something. Some, some reason that we are strange. How many of you feel that like you have some strange tendencies? Maybe. Some of you don't. 
I have some strange things. There's some things that I, you know, but there's always a reason. Somewhere along the line, I got it. So, how do we break inner vows? How many of you feel like you have had an inner vow? Yeah. I've absolutely, I've made inner vows and I've had to repent of them. Because, like I said earlier, instead of taking a strong stand and say, I will not do that thing ever, it's so much better to declare, I will do it better by the grace of God. Because how many of you know, if you, you will read your Bible different. If you create an inner vow, you will read the verse, you'll skip right over verses that God has for you because of that vow. I will not spank my child. Spare the rod. What is that? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Okay. That, that would be like, right? Because if you've, you've taken, your idea all of a sudden became God's idea and you stand on that. We have to be pliable and understand that we get rid of some stuff, right? Because I know I've got some stuff that I need to get rid of. I need to shed. Come on, we all do. We're working on it. We're working progress. So, how do we break them? We ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us on those inner vows. What, Lord, have I done in my life? What have I said? I will never move to Payson, Arizona. And look at me. No, I'm just, I never made that inner vow. But we have all made inner vows that we have to either recant or we stand on. We either repent from them or we stand on them. So this morning, I want you to just think about that. Are there things in my life, are there iniquities that my parents have, my grandparents have, have passed on? Is there reasons that I'm bent a certain way and I don't like it? Or have I said something, have I made inner vows and saying, I will never, or I can't, or I won't, or whatever it is, and I'm so stuck on it that I can't move forward in my Christian life. I can't move forward in the kingdom because I'm stuck on something. I don't ever want to trip up on a, on a whim, on something I said because I was hurt, on something I said because, or, or something I do because I didn't even realize it was in my line, right? In my, it was generational. It was there. I didn't even realize it. Too many people are going around the same mountain over and over Church hopping is, is paramount to this. People will attend a church. They'll get hurt. They'll go to another church. They'll get hurt in the same very thing. And they'll go to another church and they'll get hurt in the same very thing. And they just keep going. And they can't understand why everybody hurts me the same way. And it's not because you're a victim. It's because you have something that, that you could take care of through Jesus, through God, but you can take care of those things so that your next church you go to, it's like, boom. This is, where, this is what it was supposed to feel like to be part of the family of God. Yeah. Right? Yes. So if you find yourself in those places and you find yourself in just kind of a, a circular pattern, it's generally because of this stuff. It's because you have either made inner vows of things, you have iniquities that have followed you from generation to generation. So I want you to stand up. Tim, can you? So, 
we're just going to, we're just going to, how many of you want to butcher some iniquities and kill some inner vows this morning? That's right. Because it's time. It's time to get rid of it because we can't be effective outside this in the people that we love. If I live, if, if my love is conditional, how am I ever going to move the kingdom forward? Or if, if, I'm angry all the time. Nobody wants to be around that. So I want you guys to bow your head. I'm just going to ask some questions. This morning, if, if you know there's something in your life that you don't like, and that you could probably trace back, and that you've seen your mom do, or your dad do, or your grandpa do, but these things just drive you crazy, and you know it drives everybody else around you crazy. So I want you to identify it. I want you to think about it. I want you to take responsibility for it. Say, I'm this way because of an iniquity, and I forgive the people that gave it to me. It's not their fault that I'm walking in it. I have a choice. It's my responsibility. Take responsibility for it. And again, forgive those people that have have brought it to you and once you've forgiven them there's a perfect God-shaped hole because when you forgive it it like removes it so there's a God-shaped hole and now I want you to say Jesus as Lord of my life I want you to fill that area so if this morning you've taken a step in taking care of an iniquity or more than one iniquity in your life, I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. Again, you've made and you've identified it and you've decided that it's done. I'm taking responsibility for it. I forgive the people that have brought it through the lineage. I'm done with it. And I give it to you. This morning, I want you to also think, do you recognize a place where you have made an inner vow? Where have you made a promise to yourself that is to your detriment? That is something that will, if not dealt with, trip you up in the kingdom. If that's you, I want you to also identify what that is. And I want you to raise your hand. And I want you to pray this with me. Lord, I don't have the right to control my life. I don't have the right to be my own God. And I ask for your forgiveness for doing this. I forgive my parents or whoever it was that did this to me. And today I make you Lord of my life. Now, I also want you to think about what what was brought up this morning, what you just agreed with and stood in agreement with, and know that by faith, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, and he's dealt with that. He's taken care of that, and that you do not have to walk in that anymore. That's taken care of. 
So, Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing here at CFTN Pace. I thank you for the work you're doing in my life. I thank you that you're continually shining a light on areas in my life that I can grow, that I can change, and that I can take authority of in the name of Jesus. I thank you that I don't have to follow paths of people before me. I thank you that I can be my own person, that I can do your will, and that I can live in your presence continually, and that you will always be there to remove those things that trip me up so that I don't have to walk around that mountain for 40 years. I don't have to walk around that mountain. I know that you, your, your path straightens for me every time I take care of something in my life. So Jesus, I just thank you for, for blessing each person here this morning. I thank you for making them your favorite. That today, each one of them is your favorite and they can come to you and know that. And so, Father, I just ask that you, as they go on their way, as they have the rest of their week, I thank you that they're shining lights, they're brilliant beacons for the kingdom, and that with their newfound freedom, that their relationships will ultimately transform and become all that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast from CFTN Payson. We are Church for the Nations in Payson, Arizona. We are a Bible-believing church and believe God has a word for you today. You can reach us at www.cftnpayson.com or you can give us a call at 928-444-8791. God bless you.